I think it's quite rare to find somebody who doesn't care anything about wisdom. Even the people you know who make the very worst choices in life often make those choices for reasons that they think are wise. I mean, we probably make a thousand decisions a day. I'm sure at least a few of them could do with that extra helping of wisdom. You see, we're all trying to make the most of our lives, and sometimes that leaves us vulnerable to scams. Just this week, I received an email from Ryanair um, notifying me that I'd won £500 of Ryanair vouchers. Excellent, I thought to myself. Now, admittedly, the email did go straight into my spam folder. And admittedly, the grammar and spelling was terrible. But I was, I was this close to risking it all for some free flights. There's an old story about an industrial scrap metal dealer called André Poisson. And this is actually a true story. He was invited to a secret government meeting in central Paris where the sale of a famous monument was up for discussion. The monument in question was the Eiffel Tower. It was 1925 and after just uh, 35 years it had become so expensive to maintain, mainly because of the cost of repainting it. And so the French government, in secret, was exploring its sale. If they did it publicly, there'd be public outrage. Anyway, as an up-and-coming dealer, André Poisson was identified as particularly vulnerable by someone called Victor Lustig. The man, he was the man in charge of the bidding process. And when it came to the time of sale, Victor Lustig extorted André for the equivalent of millions of pounds to secure the sale of the tower. And now for André, the bribe he paid was a ticket to the biggest business deal he'd ever done, or would probably ever do, and a ticket to the flourishing of his family. He had no idea that he was about to be involved in one of the biggest scams in modern history. He was just trying to make the most of his life. And that's sometimes what leaves us vulnerable. Now, not many of us are in the market for famous monuments. But nevertheless, understanding life, having the right information, applying it in the right ways to navigate to, toward the right kinds of goals, being wise can be the difference between success and failure, joy and sadness. But who knows what's right? Who knows what's right in every single situation we face? We so need wisdom to make important decisions, to handle tricky situations, to plan for the future. Wisdom from minute to minute. What's the best way to live? What's the best information? What's the best way to apply it in life? What are the best goals to aim for? Now, in our passage that we heard, 
James, a key leader in the early church, he desperately is trying to encourage the flourishing of this young Christian community. And from the letter, we can tell that there were all kinds of issues and bust-ups. And worst of that, from this passage, it seems like those who were responsible for teaching the ways of Jesus, those who were boasting about being wise, well, they, they, they weren't rising above the mess. And in just five short sentences, James exposes this scam, scam wisdom, and introduces us to the real stuff. And it's not what you'd expect. Now, I I don't know the details of your life or the challenges you face day to day. But which one of us can hand on heart say that we've never fallen for a scam? Which one of us can say that we don't need more wisdom? And actually what God might be saying to us today is that we maybe we aren't quite as wise as we'd like to think we are. But real wisdom has come down to us. And the real stuff might be exactly what we all need. So let's take a look. Scam wisdom. Now, starting in verse 14, James begins to paint a vivid portrait of this scam wisdom. So that by the um, end of verse verse 16, we get a full picture. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, James seems to see these two things as symptoms of the same illness. Walking around the place preoccupied by what you don't have, or walking around the place preoccupied by what your next move is to get ahead, are both pretty effective ways of making everything about you. James seems to be saying to this community that bitter envy and selfish ambition are the symptoms of self-centeredness. Living a me, me, me kind of life and the results are predictable. A social dysfunction and disordered environment where there are no limits to what people might do to get the better of each other. You see, scam wisdom, says James, centers itself and breaks down others. And I wonder if when you look out into the world, you can spot that kind of wisdom at work. But also, James isn't naive. James knows that just as the most dangerous scams are, self-centeredness is subtle and he challenges them to look a little bit closer to home look at verse 14 scam wisdom is harbored in the heart and James here doesn't just mean your emotions but the deep down inside of you where the whole of you springs out from And it's in there that we glimpse the subtlety of a self-centered 
view of the world. And actually, James is trying to be really clear on this, I think. Scam wisdom is not just less good than the real stuff. It has absolutely nothing to do with the good God of heaven. Verse 15, it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Now, that might sound dramatic to our modern Western ears, but what I think James is saying here is that this wisdom looks out into the world that God fathered and slams the door in his face as if he doesn't matter at all. It's earthbound, spiritually blind, and demonic in the sense that it is joined in with the satanic rebellion against God that has made such a mess of his good creation. And all because of that ancient human desire to replace God in the world with ourselves. Living life as if everything relates to me. And so James's sketch is complete. Scam wisdom is scam wisdom because it messes with reality. And now there's a a world of difference between information and wisdom. Information is like handing me a map while I'm stood halfway up a steep hill somewhere in the Peak District. Wisdom is being able, or me being able to use that map to get down the mountain straight away and find the nearest pub for lunch. (laughs) Right information, right application, right goal makes all the difference. And I suppose nowadays technology does most of that for us. Google Maps orientates a digital map world around me. As I physically turn, that little on-screen arrow, it doesn't turn, no, the whole world (laughs) turns around me, as it should. I'm missing. (laughs) Now, from time to time, you may need to zoom out to see a little further. And when you do, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a little helpful button appears. And that button says, re-center. And if you've ever Google mapped your way around a busy city that you're not familiar with, you, like me, may have ended up tapping that little re-center button from time to time. That's the little button that shifts the entire map world and its orientation so that I'm back at the center. And now Google hasn't yet created an app that navigates us through the challenges of daily life. But just like a sat-nav, in life we can often find ourselves reaching for a recenter button. Whether consciously or not, when life feels out of control, when life disappoints us, or when we're just trying to get on in life, we, we tend to find all kinds of ways to place ourselves back at the centre of our stories, recentering reality around us. 
And that's what jealousy is, isn't it? Envy. Looking at those around us and deep down inside thinking, I. I want what they have. I deserve. I need. I, I. And it sometimes, like it lives in the heart, but it sometimes does bubble up to the surface when good things happen to others. Our first reaction isn't to thank God who gives good gifts or even to celebrate with them completely. But instead, the temptation is to recenter ourselves and be filled with a, a, like a, a pity for our own situation. You see, if we resist celebrating with those who celebrate, we'll probably struggle to weep with those who weep. Instead, thinking, I'm just glad it wasn't my family. The desire to center our little world around ourselves shows up in all kinds of subtle ways. And the important thing that James is saying here is that that is nonsense. That's the lie. Scam wisdom messes with reality. And when we, in our heart, in our subtle ways, live in God's story, as if we're the main character, then we may well have fallen for the lie of this scam wisdom. And James says to us today, that's no way to live. Don't be fooled. Spending your life looking out for number one is not making the most of your life. And you may well try your best to be a kind and generous person, but swallowing the lie and shutting the door on God leaves you completely unattached to the great source of goodness himself. I mean, we only have to look at the news over the last few months to see the kind of social dysfunction that can come from making up the rules as you, as you serve yourself. And James says, it's nothing to be proud of. Verse 15, at the end of it, do not boast about it. Don't fall for it. And so here, here are a few diagnosis questions that might expose where scam wisdom is at work. And maybe you can think of a few yourself. And so question one, whose story do I think I'm living in? If my day-to-day life reveals who I think the main character of this story is, what does it say? Number two, what frustrates me more when I don't get the recognition I deserve or when God doesn't get the recognition he deserves? Number three, does the way I love others make them feel more significant than me or make them feel that I am more significant than them? And in the background of what James is saying here are Old Testament passages like Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
And now that's not a fear of being unworthy that might lead to self-justification. It's not a fear of being overlooked that might lead to self-reliance, but it's a fear of the Lord. In short, a life-altering recognition of the scale and reality of God's godness that leads to humility. First with God and then with others. James says, catch the scam in the lie. Rehearse reality in your heart. And so now we turn to the real stuff, real wisdom. And immediately the difference is obvious. The real stuff, instead of centering itself, it forgets itself in the humility of a life of service. One author has described humility as the art of disappearing for the sake of love. And James seems to think along those same lines. He says the the real stuff is first of all pure, meaning it is a functioning part of God's heaven on earth project. It's clean, it's innocent, it's just, forgiven and free, no longer indifferent to God. It's been put back on its feet, walking around the place with absolutely nothing to prove. You see, James starts by saying the real stuff is first of all pure, but he goes on to say it's so much more. Instead of social disorder, where you have real wisdom, there you find the building of peace in ways that are considerate of the individual, willing to give room and bend that others might thrive. The kind of wisdom that saves a newly married couple from a shameful public embarrassment, not to draw attention to himself, but because his mother told him to. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. You see, this real wisdom is first of all pure, but it's so much more. Instead of endless envy that compares and competes, where you find this real wisdom, there you find mercy. Gentle, sincere mercy. Mercy that makes a genuine difference without even a hint of prideful prejudice. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. It's the kind of wisdom that meets a desperate woman in the midday heat searching for water, shut out from her community, and steps across the social, ethnic, gender divides, transcending every expectation of the day to give her the kind of forgiveness and peace that leaves her singing and dancing in the street. My words can't do it justice. You see, this is the real stuff. And precisely because it is first of all pure, it is so much more. This is God's wisdom come down. 
from heaven and instead of centering itself. Where you have this real wisdom, there you find humility. Genuine self-forgetfulness that doesn't calculate and cling to its own power, but gets low and serves until empty for the sake of others. I wonder if it sounds familiar to you. It's the kind of wisdom that instead of sitting back in comfort being served, gets down into the dirt and washes the grubby feet of those who have absolutely no right to even hope to be cared for. I wish I could put it into words. And just to be completely obvious, I'm saying that James is painting a picture of his big brother, Jesus. And just imagine for a second what it's like to be around someone who is the perfect, the flawless expression of all of this. The beauty of perfect purity without even the hint of the risk of being let down. In a world that aspires to self-sufficiency and independence, this real wisdom that builds and binds the community together just does not fit. That's because this real stuff is heaven's perspective. Applied in our everyday life, in heaven's way, in pursuit of heaven's goals. It's not like this is human wisdom on its best day. This is God's wisdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's a different material altogether. And the key difference, I think, that James seems to be trying to get clear in this passage is that the real stuff builds and binds the community together. Now, (laughs) a bit of an illustration going on here. So when building anything, a really important consideration are the materials you use. So you'll, you'll probably recognize one of these, right? Um, I've, got, I've got two with me. Yeah, they're bricks. <laughs> Good. Um, you've passed. Uh, now, if you look out of the window and even along these walls, you'll see that most of the houses and buildings are built with these. These particular bricks are Marshall's red perforated engineering bricks. 58p a pop from Wix. If you sell them to you for 50 after this. <laughs> Always making a profit. Um, and, and the process, to, this is the point I'm making, the process to make one of these takes a huge amount of time and energy. And they are very heavy. So I'll put one down. And it all begins in a quarry where the earth is dug up and split into boulders. 
And it's left, those boulders are left, exposed to the air for two years. And that softens them enough for them to be then split and crushed into tiny grains. And those tiny grains are mixed with water, poured into moulds, and then left to dry in a kiln for two days. And after, after drying, they're baked in an oven at around 1,000 degrees for another two days. Only after this process, only after that process can a rock become a brick. Would you live in a house made of bricks like these? I think you, 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 probably, you probably do. Now, it seems to me that if real wisdom builds like this brick, James could have easily made the point that scam wisdom is a brick, or sorry, a a rock becoming a brick. It's somewhere along that process. Scam wisdom is a a brick that maybe it's a, a little too rocky. Maybe it's not dried enough. Maybe it's not been baked at a high enough temperature. But friends, I think James wants us to be crystal clear on this. Scam wisdom is a completely different material altogether. Ewan, are you ready? Catch. (laughs) Throw it back. He now knows he's alive, so that's good. You see, it's not made of the same stuff. It can't, it can't be built with. It can't belong to the same structure. Would you live in a house made out of bricks like these? Would you live in a house made of bricks like these? Well, you're not quite sure. Because I've, I've eroded your trust, haven't I? And that's the point. That's the point. That's the point. You see, scam wisdom erodes the possibility of trust within the community. You see, what's at stake is the integrity of God's heaven on earth project. Foam bricks can't build real houses. Scam wisdom can't build real peace. Self-centered humans can't suddenly live out heavenly humility. Because... And we'll, we will get on to this. It's changed people that change people. It's those who have received mercy who show mercy. Or to put it more precisely, people begin to imitate the Son of God when they receive the Spirit of God. You see, the goal of heaven's wisdom is the glory of the Father as heaven's peace fills the earth 
and builds and binds the church together. You see, James has shown us the lie at the heart of the scam and gives us the blueprint to the real stuff, all to urge us to be peacemakers. This is what it means to make the most of your life. And God calls each one of us to join in and to be part of building something that is genuinely out of this world. Heaven's peace on earth. You see, earthly peace is too small. A sense of personal inner calm that disappears at the first sign of trouble is too brittle. A momentary hit of escapism through the latest episode, the latest project, or pushing people away. That doesn't go down deep enough. A kind of living in a state of social detachment that floats above the mess of family life, city life, the world, without crying out, without concern, is not actually what the Bible means when we read the word peace. See, peace in the Bible, heaven's peace, is a colossal idea. It's harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. God sent Jesus to live, die, and rise again to initiate a world of that kind of peace. And of course, we live now in anticipation of the full realization of that world when Jesus returns and heaven comes down to earth. Yet it's clear that in James's mind, the future world of peace shapes the church's current purpose. Because these one-time enemies of God have become his peacemakers. So that peacemaking here can be understood as actively bringing about the conditions for spiritual flourishing and whole human being flourishing and social flourishing and cosmic flourishing because that's what God in Jesus is about. That's what um, Jesus in one of his most famous sermons says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers have understood what their heavenly father is about and have joined in. It's not a brittle, earthly peace. And it's not just heaven's peace passively in the distant future, but it's heaven's peace come down. Heaven's peace on earth. You see, because of what Jesus is like and what he's done, real wisdom can be at home in the mess. The kind of peacemaker that James describes are not naive about the mess that people are in. See, peacemakers, they they take after their big brother. 
And what a taste of heaven that could be. Friends, like farming, peacemaking is not an easy way to live. But James says, what peacemakers sow, and actually for some of you, it has been years of sowing, decades of sowing. But peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So keep on being heaven's peace in the mess of our world. So, to bring it to a conclusion, we need wisdom in life, don't we? We're all trying our best, and that is sometimes what makes us vulnerable to scams. James has shown us that we need the the best information that begins with the fear of God. We need the best way to apply that information to life in the humility of the Son and by the power of the Spirit. We need the best goals, the glory of the Father as heaven's peace fills the earth and builds the church. Now that might explain what James means by wisdom, but it doesn't actually tell us how James expects us to live in that wisdom. Because the bar here is quite high, isn't it? The sobering reality is that each one of us will fail to live up to heaven's wisdom by the time we leave this building. And even more importantly, what if we haven't just failed, but in our hearts, deep down inside, we've, we've fallen for the scam. And we've ended up loving, loving the lie of a self-centered world. What does God do with those who don't have this kind of wisdom? Like even on my best day, I'm an absolute mess. So what does God do with people like me who often come to the realization that they're not quite as wise as they'd hoped? Now, when André Poisson came to the realization that he was not quite as wise as he'd hoped, it almost destroyed his life. You see, only a few weeks after paying a significant bribe, along with the purchase price of the Eiffel Tower, he found out that he'd been scammed. The bribe he paid hadn't secured the sale of the Eiffel Tower. More than that, Victor Lustig, he didn't even work for the French government at all. The meeting in Paris, it was a hoax. And, And Victor, he'd left the country with the money. And when André realised that his wisdom had led him down a dead end, he was furious. But worse than the sense of loss and anger was the sense of shame. In the end, the shame was so great that André never went to the police to ask for help. 
Now, is, is that the effect that James is trying to have here? Is he trying to rid the Christian community of unwise teachers by exposing them, shaming them? And what if it's easier to recognise scam wisdom in our own lives? Easier to recognise that kind of wisdom than it is to recognise the real stuff? Like Andre, should we hang our heads, resign ourselves to our fate and learn to live with the costs of our mistakes? Is it all just down to us? So we come to... I think it's probably a fundamental question of our human existence. What does God do with sinners? What does God do with people who are not as wise as he is? And to find an answer for that, we'll stay in the book of James, but we'll We'll move to the beginning of James. So if you want to turn to James chapter 1, verse 5, we'll see James's answer. Now read it. I'll read it for us. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him now just take a moment with those words the god who is full of heaven's wisdom shares that wisdom with those who are good enough no 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 those who ask Literally anyone can get in on this. And without finding fault, whilst knowing your past record, whilst fully aware of your history of indifference to him, with no desire to laugh at you or shame you, he doesn't want to make you feel stupid He hasn't been searching for a way to make you feel small. Like like we are an open book to him. He knows the mess you've made of your life. And he has nothing but mercy for you. In fact, Jesus took onto himself the guilt and shame that our lack of wisdom deserves. He did that on the cross. Jesus took the consequences of our mess that we might receive mercy by faith. It changed my life when I understood how much it cost God to show me mercy. And real wisdom is available. Heaven's wisdom for your messy day-to-day life. What mercy. And actually, it's more than that. It's wrapped up with your name on it, ready to be delivered. He knows exactly what you need. If you just trust him. 
James is saying, trust God enough to ask. Trust that God is good enough to ask him for his wisdom. And perhaps as a a prayer, it might sound something like this. Sorry, thank you, please. Sorry for what I've done. Thank you for what you've done. And please make us wise with your wisdom. And so let's pray that together now. Heavenly Father, sorry that I've lived in your world as if you don't matter. Sorry that my life has been um, full of scam wisdom. I may have been fooled, but you see right through me. Sorry I didn't love you from my heart. But thank you that Jesus lived the perfectly wise life I should have lived, died the guilty death that I didn't want to die, and was raised to life again for us. Thank you that even though I'm an absolute mess, I can receive mercy with the empty hands of faith. Thank you that you give me a a new heart. You give me your spirit, the promise of a future. And right now, you give me a part to play in something genuinely out of this world. Please, Father, fill our lives with heaven's wisdom, real wisdom your spirit's power to live out your son's humility. Please help us to be peacemakers. Um, Help us to make it clear that anyone can get in on this, no matter how much of a mess they are. Father, thank you. We pray these things In the beautiful name of your Son. Amen. 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 Amen.